Preventive Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and our guest for this podcast is Dr. Rory Cooper. Dr. Cooper is a Fisca and Paralyzed Veterans of America and Distinguished Professor of the Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology, as well as Professor of Bioengineering, Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and Orthopedic Surgery at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Cooper is Founding Director and VA Senior Research Career Scientist of Human Engineering Research Laboratories at the VA Rehabilitation R&D Center of Excellence. Dr. Cooper, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be back. Dr. Cooper, this is your third appearance on the podcast. You joined us in 2007 and 2015. So let's talk a little bit about focus here where it seems to me developers are using a lot of robotic and assistive technology. If you could provide just a little bit of an overview, that would be appreciated. Well, thank you. Yes, we are doing a lot of robotics and automated systems in our research now. It's been pretty exciting, actually, since the last time we talked. We've moved into some robots for home care. For example, our Agile Life Bed, which is a robotic wheelchair paired with a robotic bed that allows people to be uh, transferred out of bed with severe disabilities without the need to be lifted. We also are pretty excited that we were awarded Department of Transportation, University Transportation Center for autonomous vehicles and transportation systems. So we're also looking at how do we make vehicles of the future, so electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles, accessible for people with disabilities, as well as transportation systems such as uh, light rail and buses and also light bus transportation systems. Those are some kind of exciting new areas. Also kind of branched into some other areas that are more medical device oriented or a little less rehab oriented. So things like our freeze the keys, which is a tool to help with suicide prevention, for example, especially among our veteran population. And we continued our work on robotic interfaces or robotic arms, and now expanded that work to in-home use. Let me ask a question about working with people. It seems to me that people and the machine interface is a big issue. How do you deal with the human factors, which probably is more challenging when people have a disability? So when we deal with the human factors, we have to deal with it at multiple levels. When you talk about robots to assist with transfers, like getting people from one surface to another, we're talking about powerful robots working in close proximity to people and people with impairments. That's very contrary to how most powerful robots work. In most cases, you try to separate the powerful robot from the person, like, for example, in industrial settings or even in entertainment settings. So that provides a unique human challenge. And so that means the safety systems of the robot, the physical interaction of the person and the robot are critically important. On the other hand, there's also the human-machine interface. How can a person intuitively use a robot? So there are some challenges to that as well. And the user could be the person with the disability themselves interacting with the robot, but it also could be a caregiver or a non-medical assistant and a person with disability and a robot interacting. So 
we have to worry about uh, the interfaces. And those could be software interfaces or voice interfaces, or in many cases, what we have to use is technology called sensor fusion. So you have multiple sensors to robot to be aware of what the activity that is being requested to be performed and know its own internal state in order to cause no harm. And of course, that information has to be condensed and then shared with the user in some usable, meaningful form. We have to have fail-safe systems for sure. You know, obviously, the first rule in robotics is to do no harm. And so in our case, we want to make sure that the robot helps the individual but doesn't do any harm. For example, we also have our MeBot robotic wheelchair, which can climb curbs and self-level. In other words, when it goes over uneven surfaces, it stays flat. That has tremendous potential for expanding environments for people with disabilities, as well as providing more safe mobility in the community, for example, on, on curb ramps and crossing driveways or negotiating sidewalks where there are no curb cuts. You know, the wheelchair has to do this in a way that's intuitive to the user. In our case, we're trying to do two things. When going under or uneven surfaces, we try to maintain the seat relatively stable and flat, or at least in the orientation desired by the user. But also when climbing curbs, for example, you not only want to have that, but you want to have it reversible in case the person changes their mind or there's an obstruction in the way or a person walks in front of them, for example, that you don't want to hit. We have to look at safe operation of use, fail-safe systems, and also both foreseeable misuse. When we talk about some of the tools that you're using, what's on the horizon in terms of devices or procedures that are helpful? So actually, Zoom and technology like it, by and large, have been enabling for people with disabilities on many levels. For one example is that, you know, John, of course, you know me, so you know I have a disability and I use a wheelchair. That so it does give an opportunity for individuals with some types of disabilities to conduct interviews and participate in employment on a more level playing field. From a research perspective, it's been great because we've been able to conduct focus groups and interviews and other types of research with a national, or in some cases, even a global sample where people don't have to travel or we don't have to travel. And I think that's been great for individuals who are hearing impaired or visually impaired. The technology has evolved fairly rapidly. I think basically largely due to the tremendous usage of video conferencing technology and data sharing technology during the pandemic that has gotten better as well. For example, automated closed captioning, that's a feature you can turn on and get a live chat transcript or closed captioning at the bottom of your Zoom, which certainly helps for individuals who are hearing impaired, for example. There's still some challenges for people who are visually impaired to translate images into text or into some meaningful way for the people who are visually impaired to interpret them. But at least with this technology in real time, the speaker can describe what they're trying to show as well. So I think it's got a lot of potential. I think it also will expand work opportunities for individuals with disabilities. And also it's expanded opportunities for research and collaboration. Providing sensory feedback to the operators 
a huge challenge still. You know, there are uh, Mike Irvin and Jen Collinger and, and Doug Weber and others, of course, are using, and Andy Schwartz, are looking at how do you uh, take sensors from the robot feedback to the person's brain. That's not really an area that we're so much directly engaged with with Hurl. Of course, they're partners of ours, and we work with them on various projects. In our case, we typically try to provide feedback to the user with those senses that they have available to them. So in other words, it can be through speech, through hearing, it can be tactile, vibrotactile, or it could be more haptic as well. So haptic devices is at least when you're not directly in contact with a person, you can use that. You also use direct robotic interaction, which is basically force amplification. You, you touch a robot or you push a robot, and then it's compliant to your touch, but it has the ability to amplify that for lifting purposes, for example. So one way to think about that is you might have a touch-sensitive skin on the robot, and you touch the skin, the robot moves away from you. That way we can use it as both an interface and a feedback mechanism. So I'm pretty excited right now about origami engineering and reducing the types and the variety of materials that are needed to fabricate robots or other assistive devices by using computer-controlled metal laser cutting and computer numerically controlled metal bending, which then also can be combined with composites as well. I think the exciting thing about that is we can get away from cutting and welding tubing and get to do more complex shapes, lighter shapes, and more ergonomic shapes in a very cost-effective way. So that's kind of exciting to me right now. The other thing I think is pretty exciting in the robotics field is the idea of connected robots. For example, one of our projects, we have these robotic wheelchair bed combinations, and there's a robot so the person can get from their wheelchair to bed, but all of them are also connected. So for example, an entire healthcare system can look at how many times a person gets in and out of bed, how many times they reposition within the bed. So you can use that same robotics technology to facilitate that movement in and out of bed, but also track how an entire system works. And in some ways, it's the technology like of swarming robots, but used to apply to healthcare. Very promising. Dr. Cooper, tell us about your interest in transportation systems. Well, I think that's pretty exciting right now. Well, first, the autonomous vehicles and transportation systems, right? That transportation is such a key part of being able to participate in one's health and in employment and school and other activities of life. And I do think that every challenge presents an opportunity as I see it. And that's electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. So autonomous vehicles and transportation systems, for that matter, have the ability to expand mobility for individuals with disabilities and older adults, but they have to be included now, essentially. They should have been included from the beginning, but they got kind of left at the side of the road, so to say. The other group is electric vehicles. You know, we're moving at least probably in the next 10 years towards more electrification of vehicles, but they present both some challenges and opportunities for individuals with disabilities. The opportunities are that we're designing new vehicles by and large from the ground up, 
and we could design more accessibility features in them, especially to allow people to drive because we can use controls that were challenging to implement with internal combustion engines. They present some challenges because they typically use a chassis or a skateboard design, which makes it difficult to lower the vehicle for wheelchair accessibility. I think those are new areas that are pretty exciting to explore as well. I also see that robots are now advancing to the point where they can move into the home and interact with people in their home environments. In some cases, we're seeing that by and large already with the home automation technology, basically converting the home to a robot. But I do think that there's opportunity for having robotic manipulators and mobile robots in our homes within the next five to 10 years. Dr. Cooper, thank you for sharing your insights in this emerging technology. As we move forward, it seems to me there's going to be a need for a new industry to support this technology, particularly in the home. Are your studies considering that? I actually do think that that's an opportunity for students and for engineers in the future to become sort of home automation support technologists and also learning to program this technology. Anybody that's tried to use home automation technologies probably learned that it's difficult to customize and yield its full benefits. And so there's, I think, an opportunity there for using it as a technology to help people to live in their homes and older adults to stay in their homes, but also an opportunity for people to come in and set up this technology to allow them to make it easier for them and to make it meet their needs. So yeah, I think that's true. And then of course, robots are complex technologies, which are gonna retire some maintenance. The cool thing about if you combine them with connected health, they should be able to tell you when they need maintenance or even in you know worst case when they fail so that a person could come out and repair them or ideally do preventative maintenance so they don't fail. Because trust is another big part of the robotics field that you need the individual to realize that the robot's going to do what you'd like it to do, when you'd like it to do it, how you'd like it to do it, and do it reliably. Dr. Cooper, tell us a little bit about the opportunities for people with disabilities to engage in some of these emerging technologies. I think this is a great time for people with disabilities and women and other underrepresented groups to become engaged as engineers and scientists and inventors, and so that we can increase the diversity of perspectives to continue to advance the fields forward. Been exciting that we've been engaged with some of the programs at the Department of Transportation, as well as the Department of Commerce, to look at how do we expand the innovation and invention ecosystem to be more inclusive so that we can accelerate the pace of research and invention. Dr. Cooper, thank you for joining us today and sharing your amazing research. The results are impressive. We wish you well in your endeavors and thank our listeners for joining us today. And thanks to the McGowan Institute for Genetic Medicine for sponsoring this podcast. Till we meet again, thank you for listening. Thank you.